We'll share in two scripture readings this morning. First, from the Old Testament prophet Jonah, we'll read chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And then, from the Gospel of Mark, we'll read chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. First, from Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of God. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three-day walk across. And so Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, uh, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what the Ninevites did, this is from verse 10, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said, Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In his book, Into Thin Air, John Krakauer describes, he chronicles his participation in an expedition to the top of Mount Everest that took place in 1996. I've been reading the book. I'm about two-thirds of the way through, and many of you probably have read this book as well. I'm continually in awe about what is necessary to get to the top of Mount Everest, the highest peak in the world, some 29,290 feet. As best I can figure, besides the standard answer, which every mountain climber will tell you, to why you climb, well, because it's there, one of the reasons you have to want to go to Mount Everest is because of what, what he says here. At 25,900 feet, I paused on the crest of the spur to drink some water and take in the view. The thin air had a shimmering, crystalline quality that made even distant peaks seem close enough to touch. Extravagantly illuminated by the midday sun, Everest summit pyramid loomed through an intermittent gauze of clouds, 
Squinting through my camera's telephoto lens at the upper southeast ridge, I was surprised to see four ant-like figures moving almost imperceptibly towards the south summit. You have to want to go, I guess, for the view. You have to want to go because of what you get to see. And though I have had no real desire to climb Everest, and this book even makes it less of a desire, I am fascinated reading about it. I haven't allowed myself to like do a YouTube deep dive on Mount Everest videos, but I assure you, you could for hours. It's admirable how much some are willing to go to, go through to reach the peak of this, the peak of the world, the top of the world. The risks that they take are so high. The rewards are ultimately just personal. The trek is taxing on your body, on your career, and even on your family. Crack Hour doesn't describe anybody that I can remember in the book whose family was like really behind them, saying, yeah, you should definitely take three or four months out of your life and, you know, go risk it on top of the world. They go for a couple of minutes to catch a glimpse from the top of the world that, that it, could, it, it could be covered in clouds when you get there. The view might be a whole lot like crossing Falls Lake on a foggy day. But, but I still admire what it is they're willing to go through to get to the top. I admire what they have sacrificed. I know they were rewarded. And in some ways, I think that the desire, the the willingness to climb, to endure something like this, is in some ways akin to a journey of faith. There's a parallel in my mind between Everest and faith. The road is long. The rewards are sometimes significant and sometimes not, but always personal or between us and God, the path is unpredictable. And ultimately, there's no shortcuts. The response to something deep and significant and rich is that you don't get there quickly. You may start quickly, but you don't get to the end quickly. Now, you may have been to the top of the Empire State Building. You might have seen the view from 30 Rock. And if you remember both of those places, you buy a ticket and you ride an elevator to the top, right? It is a shortcut to the top of the world in New York City. I've been to the top of Duke Chapel. There's an elevator that takes you a lot of the way, and the stairs that spiral up through to the top are manageable for almost any healthy person. You can drive your car up to the top of the Blue Ridge Parkway or to the edge, virtually, of the Grand Canyon and get the great views without much effort at all. But for the most part, and there's always going to be an exception, you can't get to the top of something as significant as Everest without climbing. 
The air is too thin for most regular helicopters. You can't take a plane and there is no ski lift. To legitimately experience and accomplish something like Everest, you have to walk, hike, climb, and crawl your way to the top. And it is an important process. And I think the same is true of being a disciple of Jesus. I don't want to make being a disciple sound miserable, because I don't think it's anything like being as miserable as being in 40 40 degrees below zero weather on the top of Everest. But the path of being a true disciple is, is significant, and there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut if you want to experience the importance, the depth, the power, and the significance of a real relationship with God. There's not a guaranteed fast way to grow deep in your faith. Instead, the Lord invites us to follow. And when we follow faithfully, we can experience amazing things. When Mark wrote his gospel, the passage we read second. Mark was not into elaboration. Mark was maybe the Joe Friday of gospel writers. Just the facts, ma'am. Mark just lays out facts so that in six verses, John goes from being arrested to Jesus having called four disciples in six verses. That's getting things done. That's productivity. He calls Simon and Andrew and James and John and starts his ministry. He moves quickly. But the thing about Mark is not how quickly he moves. It's, it's the invitation that Jesus gives to these disciples and their willingness to follow. These four disciples do drop everything to follow Jesus. They drop it immediately. They were tying up nets when he invited them to go, and they went. called them into a ministry and they didn't know where they were going but they knew what they were leaving behind and they became his disciples. And in the three years that followed they followed a teacher who taught in ways beyond what they could have imagined. A healer who made the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the blind to see. They witnessed God provide feed huge crowds of people. They learned from a rabbi who reached out to anyone who would come, especially the least among them. And ultimately, what they found was the gift of life through a resurrected Savior who was unceremoniously killed on a cross, but but who couldn't be kept down in the grave. The disciples found Jesus, they followed Jesus, and through their devotion to Him, giving up what they had in the past, giving up what they first knew, they were able to experience the gift and power of God in ways beyond what they ever could have imagined. This is what they experienced. And though we won't quite experience the ministry of Jesus in 2018, exactly the same way that the disciples did 2,000 years ago, I think also, if we place our plans, our agendas, our ideas behind what, what, what God might have for us, 
when we drop our nets and follow Jesus with all that we have, I think we can be assured that we will, we will see God at work in amazing ways. I think too often, though, we're reluctant. We hesitate. We want a shortcut. We want a quick route to the top. We want to do what it is that we want to do and then put Jesus on the side. We want to carry Jesus along with us while we mend the nets that we think need to get mended. In a lot of ways, sometimes we're like Jonah. Now, I love the Jonah story. I retold it here, and I'm trusting that you know enough about the story to know that after he was swallowed up by the big fish, he gets spit out onto the land. And if you heard it in that first verse, the word of the Lord again came to Jonah. Jonah's call was quite different from those four disciples in Mark. It is a contrast, and that's why we read it. In contrast to the quick obedience of Simon and Andrew and James and John, Jonah is reluctant. And it's so funny, because Jonah is reluctant, but the payoff for Jonah is immediate, even though he chooses to miss it. Jonah has sailed in the wrong direction. He's tried to avoid God, finally gives in, reluctantly goes to Nineveh. I, can, I think about him like, I picture him sort of like a priest walking down the aisle with maybe some incense that he's waving, and he's just kind of muttering, 40 days and God's going to come get you. 40 days and it's all going to be over. And someone catches a glimpse of a whiff of this. And all of Nineveh, despite Jonah's reluctance, responds. They repent. They put on sackcloth. If you read chapters 3 and 4, you see that the city is saved and God is happy about this. And Jonah is so reluctant and so ornery that the end of chapter 4 is Jonah sitting in sackcloth, pouting under a shriveled leaf, and God asking him, should I not have been concerned for my people? Jonah, who had a crusade bigger than any single crusade Billy Graham ever had, is not happy about it. Now there's a thing about these call stories, the, the contrast that exists between them. Maybe one of the lessons that we should take is God's going to do what God wants to do. Maybe the choice for you is are you going to get on board with it or not? Jonah was a reluctant follower and God still got Nineveh saved. But I think the contrast for us more than that is are we going to be reluctant or are we going to be willing? I suspect if you've been paying attention to your life, some of you have had lives that resonate like Jonah's. For a long time you've pushed a call away, but that call won't go away. You avoided what God wanted for you. 
You were like Jonah. I suspect others of you have had lives and experiences that resonate with these disciples. You saw it and you knew, I gotta go. God called, you jumped right in. It hasn't always been easy, but it has been quite a ride or quite a climb, if you will. And knowing what you know now, you wouldn't have changed a thing. And I think the thing about us this morning is that for all of us, the call, the discipleship, the the work of God is something we always have a choice about. In fact, the reality is we probably all have been both, right? There have been times when we were reluctant and times when we were willing and other times when we try to ignore both. But the thing about this is the call, the the discipleship that God wants us to live within is something we have a choice about. We have agency in this process. And we can be reluctant or we can be willing. I trust that if we willingly follow what God wants for us, we will be amazed by what God does. As willing disciples, we can follow closely to Jesus. We can learn things. We can make mistakes and learn from those. And we can hopefully see things more clearly because what we have come to know from following God. I think that's what we want. That's why we're here, right? When we respond to Jesus like the disciples, we it's like we're on a guided expedition. We're on the right track. So we're free to be amazed by what God does among us, around us, with us, and through us. I would submit that being like Jonah is no way to live. But the reality is many do live that way. Many run, avoid, avert, and and fail to grasp the importance of God's call. Only to wonder why things didn't go their way or the way they planned them to go. Jonah's story illustrates the folly of running from God and running from faithfulness. And in that way, I think Jonah's story is very very powerful. It's important. So we read these passages together today. We read them together and we ask, what about me? What about the the call that God has placed on my life? What about the call that God has placed on your life? Maybe there's something God invited you to a long, long time ago and now is the time for you to respond. Maybe as you're sitting here today, you sense a new nudge from God, a new feeling, a new sensing, a new wondering, and you wonder if you should embrace it or ignore it. I believe that if, if and when we are paying attention, God is usually urging us to lean into something, to respond to something. I think there's ways God is urging us to put ourselves, our talents, our our experiences and our gifts to work for the sake of our souls, our spiritual lives, our relationships and our world. And so consider today, how is God inviting you to respond to the call? And when you respond, I I hope you're 
your response will not be like Jonah's. Because even to go run and hide is a response. Will you willingly willingly respond and embrace Jesus' call to slowly embark upon a journey of faithfulness, trusting Him as your guide, as if you were climbing Everest? I can promise you that if you do that, the view will be amazing. I trust that if you do that, you will sense God's work around you and the invitation to respond to the call is its the best way to be awakened to the power of God among us. So be like the disciples. Follow God's invitation and get ready for a long, meaningful, important journey with a heck of a view. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we hear and see and, 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 and can attest to the ways that you call us. And we can account for the ways that we respond. Today we sense your invitation as a simple one. Drop our nets and follow you or run the other direction. Lord, help us to sense the value in following you faithfully. Lord, grant us wisdom and courage to know which nets we're supposed to set down and which steps you're calling us to walk in. Grant us wisdom and courage for the living of these days so that we might be witnesses who experience your grace, your love, your power, your presence, and your view of the world. Loving God, this is our prayer. Help us to know how to respond today to your invitation. It is in your name we pray on this day. Amen.